0: All right, so today's message focuses in on some inquisitive questions coming from the religious elites of Jesus' time into why he did what he did. We, we expect this out of the, the Pharisees and the scribes, but the unexpected is that the disciples of John the Baptist are going to be joining in along with them. And we're going to see what happens when you, when you miss Christ. So many people today miss Christ. Christ, and they're right there, he's right there in front of them, in front of John's disciples as well as religious leaders, but they're missing it. And in in an effort to continue in their legalism and their religiosity and their self-righteousness, they refuse to fully grasp the greatness of Christ and the new covenant that he brings. So join me as we read today's scripture in Luke chapter 5, starting at verses 33. And they said to him, the disciples. Of John, fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that we get to sing it, that we get to learn about it, that I get to preach it. Thank you that we get to study it. I pray that none of us takes that for granted. There's some nations where it would be illegal to have this Bible, and and we have multiple in this this room. We have it on our screen. Lord, may we never take that for granted, that we have your very words, the inerrant word of God, that we have access to 24-7, 365 days a year. May we not take that for granted. And God, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to hear your word today. May it be your word and not mine. And may you change us from the inside out, God. Lord, thank you. Please meet us here, and and God, uh, be with us as we learn about your scriptures. Amen. So today we're going to see three things the disciples of John and others like them missed. Uh, we don't want to be blinded like they were, so let's learn from this. The first is, number one, you don't want to miss the Redeemer. You don't want to miss the Redeemer. I'm just going to read... Verse 33 again. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. In this context, the given, we're given the they, and if we look back like to, to the sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago, the they is the Pharisees and scribes and religious elites. Uh, this they are unmoved by Jesus' kindness, his mercy, his grace, and frankly, even his miracles and his healings, things that they've seen that are just mind-boggling, uh, they they can they go right back into asserting their legalism. They are the ones in charge. Who's this guy I think he is? Even though he's doing these amazing things, and, and but but instead of putting themselves against Jesus as they had before, they bring in John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, and they bring them in. And sadly, with their leader in prison, John is in prison at this point. We uh, we, we we see um, in Matthew nine fourteen that it wasn't just the Pharisees. Matthew actually credits the disciples of John. As being part of this, we see that both of them have come. It says then the disciples of John came to him, saying, "Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast?" Well, we expect this kind of response from the Pharisees and the scribes. If you've read the Gospels, you know, at, at any point, you, you expect to hear them do bad things. I mean, they're they're usually the antagonists, the entire uh, um, gospel as we're looking. They they rarely do anything that is righteous or good. But but how are the disciples of John? Missing this. I mean, when we look, this is the same John the Baptist in John one thirty six that he says this, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Wow. I mean, that's the John the Baptist. These disciples were following John the Baptist, and they completely missed him. If you're going to rec- recall early in our study of Luke, what did John preach? He he re- pre- re- preached a repentance and baptism, and so, so some of these people, a lot of people came, and they. Repented and they were baptized, and John let them know that the Messiah was there. He was coming. He was taking over, and, and the kingdom of God was at hand. But many of the disciples didn't get it, uh, and we we actually know that they didn't get it because we see this in the book of Acts, chapter nineteen. So this is far after Jesus has been crucified. He rose from the dead. Christianity has been moving. This is w- well after that. We see Paul go to Ephesus here, and let's read Acts nineteen one through five. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus brothers and sisters, do you see what just happened? These disciples of John, John points them at Jesus, and they they repent, they get baptized, and they don't follow Jesus. They completely miss the fact that John's pointing them to Jesus. What they hear is the kingdom of God is at hand, and what do they hear? We got to get better. We got to find the people that are the most righteous, and we're going to hang out with them. And who is that in their time that they thought? It's the Pharisees and the scribes. So instead of following Jesus, They follow the Pharisees and the scribes, and they try to go back to their works-based righteousness and legalism. And one of these religious works that these disciples of John and the scribes and Pharisees were holding tight to was fasting. This had become a hot-button issue in this time. If we actually look at the entire Old Testament, there's only one time per year that Israel was mandated to fast. Only one time. was The Day of Atonement. We we see that in Leviticus 16.29. But the religious elites, wanting to be more holy and show off their holiness, decided they were going to do it twice a week, so everybody knew. And they would dress a certain way, they would look a certain way, they would change their whole countenance, that everybody knew they were the elites. Like, everybody, you need to worship me because I'm more holy than you, I'm more righteous than you, and they looked down at everybody else because they wanted everybody to think they were awesome. We see that even in Luke 18, 12. Yes, there were other times in the Old Testament where fasting happened. Actually, multiple other times, during times of mourning, times of seeking the Lord. But they weren't mandated. There was only the one mandated thing. And the fact that Jesus wasn't following their mandated, works-based, righteous religion, it, it infuriated them. Who is he to not obey them? They're the religious leaders. Listen to Jesus' response, and let's move to 34 and 35. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus lets those know that he is the Messiah. He refers to himself as the bridegroom. Send your hand out there. Which which has a strong teaching built into this metaphor. God referred to himself in the Old Testament oftentimes as the bridegroom. If we look, the entire book of Hosea is a picture of God being the bridegroom, Israel being the bride, and they're an unfaithful bride. The entire book of Hosea is how, is how Israel continues to uh, be an adulteress and continues to, to to do bad things toward God and to leave Him for as an unfaithful wife would leave and a, a faithful husband. And Jesus, so Jesus' illustration here is even deeper than meets the eye, but. In this metaphor, he creates a paradox for his questioners. He lets them know that this is no time to fast while the bridegroom is present. The Messiah has come to earth. The Redeemer has arrived. You don't fast at a wedding banquet. We have a wedding coming up uh, of a couple in our church uh, we're excited about. We, we're we not going to go to their wedding and, and fast. Be like, you know what, we're going to We're going to put sackcloth on and ashes, and we're going to fast. No, it's a celebration. Uh, Marriage is a huge celebration. And in the same way, Jesus is on earth at this point. The bridegroom has come for his bride, to save his bride, to redeem his bride. You you feast at that point. You feast. It is a celebration. Yet in the same vein, Jesus lets us know from an earthly perspective that there is somewhat of a, a tragedy in the making. The bridegroom will eventually be taken away, and he will be Crucified. You see, there's only one way for Christ to be our Redeemer, and that was for him to take our sins upon the cross. After he is taken, then fasting can take place. So as we reflect on this first section here, I, I want us to focus in on John the Baptist's disciples especially. And we, we, we see them, and they've heard about the coming Messiah. They, they've even repented of their sins. They've been baptized, but they missed Christ. We, we need to make sure that we are not like that. They had the first without the second. We need to have faith in Jesus Christ, believe in him as the only way, and then repent and baptize. We have to have everything aligned. They had an opportunity to follow the Messiah right then and there. He's, he's walking by, he's right in their presence, and they're completely missing it. May we not... Miss the crisis in our presence. As we enter this holy week, we have multiple reasons to remind ourselves what He has done as we think about the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday as we're celebrating today. And then we get into Monday, Thursday, where He washes the disciples' feet and he, he institutes communion, the Lord's Supper. And then we have Friday, where He is crucified, died, and buried. And then Sunday, Sunday's coming, excited for next Sunday. He rose from the dead, now at the right hand of the Father. May we not miss Christ as we go throughout this week and as we go by as well. As I'll mention time and time again today, don't miss Christ, don't miss the Savior, don't miss the Redeemer. Next we see, number two, you don't want to miss the revealing. You don't want to miss the revealing. Let me read verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it in an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. So after calling himself the Bridegroom, Christ begins revealing the New Covenant through parables. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that we're actually introduced to one of Jesus' parables, the Greek being uh, parabole, uh, which is this Greek word is used 17 times in this Gospel, and 45 in all the Gospels put together. And it'll be really common as we move forward. And this new garment that he speaks of speaks of the New Covenant that Jesus is bringing. Salvation by grace through faith and not by works, as we see in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And this teaching is in stark contrast to works-based righteousness and legalism that the Pharisees are peddling. And this new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete. We see that in Hebrews eight thirteen. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Right. So, And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So there is no salvation through the old covenant today. Not possible, because actually all of those sacrifices, everything done in the old covenant, pointed to Jesus Christ, and we know that from Hebrews 10:4. For it is, go ahead and go to the next one there. For it is impossible. So is it possible? No, it's it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The impossible became possible because Jesus Christ is our sacrificial lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist said. And all of these old covenant sacrifices pointed to that true sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, whose blood would cover the the sins of the saints in the past and future. So before getting into these illustrations a little more, I want to make sure that we teach something that has been falsely taught in many churches. I want to teach against that understanding. And, And so the old garment that he is speaking of is not the entire Old Testament. Some I'll say false teachers or heretics, to be honest, has said the, the whole Old Testament's obsolete. It's been, you know, it's gone. I've even heard somebody say Jesus broke the law. He did not break the law. He fulfilled the law. And, and we, we talked about a couple weeks ago that there are two parts of the law. There, there is the ceremonial part of the law and the sacrificial part of the law that kind of all goes together. Yes, that's been abolished because it, was, it wasn't abolished, but it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. But the moral law of God still stands. We see that in in, in Romans 7.12. The law is holy. It is good. The law helps us realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. When we look at the law, we realize we we can't measure up. We need a Savior. If we don't look at the law and and there is no truth, no law, then what what do we need a Savior for? And so the law reveals to us, even today, that we need a Savior. Although Jesus Christ... Fulfilled completely the ceremonial law, the cleanliness law, the sacrificial law—they're gone. They've been—they've been completely fulfilled. He also completed the moral law on our behalf. And now that doesn't mean we're not still still need to obey those things, as as uh, Brother Jim talked about this morning. And in, uh, in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So so we still need to follow Jesus, and if we love him, we'll still follow his commands, we'll obey his teachings, we'll walk in the newness of life through him but praise God, he knew we couldn't do it. We cannot be perfect. None of us are perfect. If anybody's perfect, uh, you can walk out now. You don't need to listen to the rest of this message. You know, none of us are perfect. We cannot fulfill God's moral law. It is perfection, but Jesus Christ, he did. He came to earth, lived a sinless life, took our our punishment that we deserved because we can't do it, because we are sinners, because we, we, just, we, we were born into sin. We are we sinners. Uh, as Adam, and the fall, if we look at Adam and Eve in the garden, from then on, all of us have been sinners. And we desire what's wrong. We don't want to do what's right. And Jesus Christ accomplished salvation for us on the cross. Praise be to God for that amazing teaching and knowledge. The old garment mentioned here is, is the old wineskins that we'll see in a moment uh, are metaphors of the works-based self-righteousness of Pharisee Judaism. And Jesus wanted to let them know that there was no room in putting salvation by grace through faith, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, along with man's works-based righteousness. The the, the two could not mesh, and Jesus is going to kind of repetitively let them know that that does not work in his illustrations. He he illustrates the incompatibility for us in the scripture today. You don't tear a piece from a new garment and put it on, on an old garment. And why? Well, we see Luke says there's going to be a matching problem. He mentions a tear, but Matthew actually says this maybe a little bit more clearly. Matthew 9, 16, No one puts a piece of unshunk, uh, unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away the garment, and a worse tear is made. So both the new and the old in this are ruined in this parable. You, you can't put them both together, because whenever you put a new piece of cloth, what happens when you wash your clothes, uh, if they're new, do they get bigger or smaller? They, they, they shrink. So, so you take this new garment and, and you put a patch on, it just, it'll, it'll make that hole even bigger. It, it'll end up messing up your clothes even worse. And this, in the same way, trying to put works-based righteousness and salvation by faith ruins the whole person, just like the whole garment is ruined. Let's look at his next illustration in 37 and 38. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins if he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. So if we're looking at wine, studying that, if anybody's like a chemistry major here, they'll love this. But, but as wine ferments, it releases a gas, carbon dioxide. And when it releases that gas, the wineskins would continue to expand and, and expand and expand. And these skins has some ability, some capacity to stretch. But at some point, it would meet its maximum length, and, and usually they were able to get that done. It wouldn't, wouldn't burst, and it'd be okay. But now if you tried to take that old wine skin that this wine had fermented in and, and the CO2 had been released, the carbon dioxide had been released, and you decided, I'm going to take that same wine skin, I'm going to put new wine in it, and it's going to ferment again, it would continue to expand, and then finally it would reach a point where it, poof, it, it blew up. It, it would tear or it blow up. It would burst, and it would be ruined. The new wine would be on the ground, and the animal skin would be broken. And Jesus knew that it was impossible to mix works-based legalism with salvation by grace through faith in Christ. He knew it was as imp- that many would try to syncretize the two, and that's a big word, syncretize. And what that is, try to merge them together and make them one. Uh, we're going to try to sprinkle in some Jesus along with what we already want to do. Right? And so, so the Jews were like, okay, yeah, we can, we can kind of bring this in. We'll just sprinkle some grace here. And as we're going to talk about in our next point, Paul rails against the Galatians for this exact issue. But if we're honest, let's just be honest. We can all lean this way. We, we can all try to syncretize or merge the Bible with what we want to do ourselves. You know, we can, what we do is we, we find our areas where we're really strong, where we're really good, quote-unquote, or at least better than others. And, you know, we exalt those. And, you know, it's like, if you do this sin, you're a really bad person. It's because I'm really good at that. I don't, I don't do that. So I can be like, I can judge others that struggle with this sin, but the other ones I'm just going to negate them. I'm going to kind of you know, work on that. And so instead of believing what the Bible just says, that, that you know, oh, both of those are sin, and you need to obey both of them, eh, we try to syncretize it with our own ideas, and we, we rationalize, and we bring our own things, and we like to puff ourselves up. But those thoughts are anti-gospel. that They need to be repented of because we must see ourselves as beggars in need of a Savior. We are not good. There is no no one good, Romans chapter 3. No one is good, not even one. No one seeks after God. However, I'll argue that this is not just a conservative Christian thing, conservative church thing. Uh, You see it just as much in theological liberal churches. Legalism is just as common there. And, And what we see is in theologically liberal churches, they view righteousness and their legalism as based on the acceptance of other people's sins. They see non-judgment as a badge of holiness. I'm more holy because I don't, I don't judge anything. I don't call anything wrong. They, they see acceptance of sin as a marker of righteousness. I am more righteous than you because I accept everyone. You're, everyone is included. Everything is good. They see love as negating the need for truth. I love the late John Stott's quote regarding truth and love. Our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth, and our truth grows hard if it is not softened by love. We must have both, my friends. We must be fully love, fully grace, and fully truth. One without the other is extremely dangerous, and frankly, is, uh, is yeah, is, is unchristian. <laughs> it is just it's not truth. It's not love. It's not either one. Jesus was the Ultimate example of both while on earth. He spoke with love all the time, but he spoke with truth all of the time. He never negated truth for love, but he also never negated love for truth. And may we not not miss that, and may we follow him in that. So we've seen so far we don't want to miss the Redeemer in our first point. Now we've seen we don't want to miss the revealing, Christ revealing the new covenant, which provides salvation for all who would trust in him. And finally, number three, you don't want to miss the result. You don't want to miss the results. Verse 39 again, And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So Jesus kind of ends this with actually a different parable. A lot of people include this in there, and there's some overlap, don't get me wrong. But, but he's actually making a completely different point here. What Jesus is saying here is he's talking about man's innate desire to resist change. You know, we have what we do, and we, you know, this, this man, man does not like to change. We just don't. Uh, you know, some of us like change a little more with certain things. I won't say anything about our, our house and how things move around and things like that before I get in trouble. But, but you know, I, I, I at least don't like change. <laughs> I'll be honest. I think most, most men at least don't like change, I should say. But, but nobody likes change if it requires you to give up something. Right? I mean, so so even people that like change, like rearranging furniture, like some wives like to do, <coughs> um, <coughs> better better go, uh, get in the doghouse here, but but even though some of us, so, some people like change that way, they don't like change if they got to get rid of something that they like, something that is a f- you know they're a fan of, you know? It's like, we, no, nobody wants to change something if you have your favorite recliner, a- and this new change would require you to get rid of that. Most people be like, I, I don't know, I'm okay with that. Now, some of us, again, my wife's laughing because she'll get rid of, I always tell my kids that, If they sit around too long, um, they may end up at Goodwill. Um, (laughs) You know, you you, you bet. bet, if if it sits around, it's not used for a couple of days. You know, don't lay in your bed too long. Sorry, I I digress there. Sorry, Lorna. Um, But, you know, I'll I'll admit, but certainly new is not always better. You know, new can be better, and we're seeing here new is much, much better. But we know in our world today, new ideas are oftentimes not more holy or righteous. New laws oftentimes are less holy and righteous although there's some that have been okay here lately, especially in our state. But what Jesus is discussing here is most certainly better than the old. He, he is referring to the new covenant coming through his blood. And to understand the struggle of man's resistance, resistance to this change, the new covenant compared to the old, let's look at Paul in Galatians 5, 1 through 3. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So this church had heard the gospel. They heard the whole gospel. Paul had preached it well, but you know what? They decided, eh, I'm going to go ahead and go back to my works-based righteousness. I'm going to try to syncretize that in a little bit. You know, circumcision, you know, we're going to start doing the law. And so when they say circumcision, they're meaning the whole law, not just the act of circumcision. They, they, they went back to the law and said, you know, we're going to do works-based righteousness. And, and Paul, Paul even rails against them further in chapter 3, 1 through 3. He's uh, not, not as cuddly here. Oh, foolish Galatians. That's a. That's a way to, to really earn friends or get friends. Who has bewitched you? Remember that whole grace and truth? He's hitting truth right now. Who has bewitched you? But it, but it was in love. Uh, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you, or I'll ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Yeah, some harsh words for them, you think? A L- little bit harsh there. Do they see that they can add to the work that Christ did on the cross? Do they see Christ's sacrifice on the cross needing some extra work to get to make it actually okay? Many today feel that way. Even in our churches today. We we need to do something to add to our salvation to help us to earn our salvation or to maintain our salvation, right? No, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. And we live in that freedom. And yes, if we love him, we'll obey his commands. We'll continue to persevere. The saints, true saints of God, do continue to persevere. He disciplines those he loves. Absolutely. All of that is extremely true. But you're not more saved because of what you do. You're saved because of what Christ did on the cross. You have nothing to add to that. And if you think that you have anything to add to that, you're blaspheming Jesus. You're saying what you did with taking nails in your wrists and hanging there after being scourged, after being beat, wasn't enough. And even more than that, what you did by taking all the sin of the world with the wrath of God poured out upon you, eh, it was okay. Wasn't quite enough to save me. No, no, that was 100% of your salvation comes from Jesus Christ and his work on the cross looking back I must admit that many today still continue to resist the or consider the old and resist the new in verse 39 as we look back so brothers and sisters I think all of us have grown up in a certain way certain tradition you know all of us maybe grew up in different traditions different ways and, and some of these were subtly or even overtly religious in nature we see the world. We have a certain view of God because maybe what our parents taught us or how we grew up, what church we grew up in. We have a certain view of the Bible because of what we learned at home or the church or a friend. We have a certain view of, uh, uh, and some even in churches have different religious views so far as they believe in a different God than the God of the Bible because they have so much syncretism, so much worldliness or, or other teaching, people's teachings instead of the actual Bible, and they don't even fully realize it, that they don't even really understand who Jesus is and what true salvation is. What Jesus is saying here is it's hard for people to accept new teachings when their old ones are so ingrained. You know, they're just second nature, and some people resist new teachings by just entirely avoiding them. Don't even want to talk about them. Let's not talk about that. Refuse to discuss. Others give a head nod, but let it go in one ear, out the other, but others will respond with harshness and animosity, and and really try to buck you and come right after you. And because of these responses to the true gospel, many, many believers won't share the gospel of truth with others much. Yeah, I mean, they, they just don't want to because they don't want to face persecution and backlash for saying something that might be offensive, right? It might, it might make other people uncomfortable, which is the greatest sin of our world today is offending people the only way, that the teaching that, the only, that Christ is the only way for salvation, that all other religions on this earth are false, that's a little controversial today. In our world of relative truth, how you can believe something, I can believe something, they completely can contradict, but they both can be true. Postmodernism, it's garbage, and it's, it's a lie from hell is what it is. In a world full of this relative truth, to, to preach an objective truth, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only way of salvation it will often lead to persecution and hate. My friend, Jesus Christ is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only way for eternal life, and He is the sinless Son of God who died on the cross for our sins so that we may have salvation through, by grace through faith and live eternal life with Him in heaven. And because of this truth, we don't want to make unsaved people feel comfortable where they're at. I, I've heard many people talking and And they'll they'll be talking about some religious stuff. And as soon as something somebody bucks something, they they hit the brakes. Oh, okay, we we hit it, we hit a spot that made them uncomfortable. Now that they're uncomfortable, I have sinned against that person. So now I need to apologize because I made you uncomfortable. I'm sorry that I said something that may have offended you. And now they just hit the brakes and they're not going there anymore. They're done. It's like Jesus, man, I mean, the whole time, he makes everybody uncomfortable. Like that's his whole life is making people uncomfortable. Yeah, of course it's not your husband. You've had multiple. You know, I mean, like the woman at the well. I mean, you, you just see multiple times, like, he, he, he's eating with sinners. He has people coming through his roof or some, somebody else's roof when he's sitting there preaching. I mean, like, people are always uncomfortable when they're around Jesus because sinners, sinners should be uncomfortable around the sinless. Not that we're the sinless, but when we preach about the one who is sinless, about his glorious standard of perfection that we can't reach and that you need salvation through him because you are a beggar in need of salvation— yeah, that's it's uncomfortable to be told that you are horrible, that you are a sinner, that you deserve hell. That is not a comfortable thing. But we don't want them to try to add in teachings of Jesus or morality uh, or, or quote unquote good things to their Quran, their Book of Mormon, or even their postmodern ideas. We want them to understand the result of Christ's teaching here. That if one resists the new covenant, they lead, that leads to eternal destruction. The result of accepting the free gift of Jesus Christ leads to eternal life. What better result is there in the world than that? May we love people enough to tell them that. As we come to a close, I want us to consider two important questions. Number one, have I missed Christ? First, be sure to reflect on your own life. Are you like John's disciples and just completely missed Christ? Like you, you repented, you were baptized, but you missed it. Maybe you, weren't, maybe, you didn't, maybe you just repented or maybe you went to church and that's considered being Christian today, you go to church, or I went to church once, and so I'm a Christian because I, I, maybe I, maybe we're in a family that went to church once. My parents went to church once, so I'm a Christian. Maybe you completely missed Christ because you thought being a Christian was just giving a head nod and not persecuting Christians and being okay with that. Have you missed Christ because you're too busy trying to be religious? You're trying to check all the boxes of being perfect, and you've actually missed the fact that salvation's by grace through faith, not by works. You've worked so hard to try to please God, and, and, and it's like he, he, he's, you have this view of like that father you couldn't please, or that mother that you couldn't please, and that's who God is. He's always there with the magnifying glass saying, you're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be able to do this. Is that, is that how you view God? Because that's not God. When he sees you, the Bible teaches if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. When you've been saved, you're new. And when God sees you, he sees the son, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And you know what he's going to say when you get to heaven, if you were in Christ? Well done, good and faithful servant. I long for that to be said over me. Not because I'm good. He's not going to look at me and say, man, Jonathan, you did a really good job. You were excellent. No, my son is good. You are not, but my son is good. And I am judging you based on what my son did, not based on what you did. As Todd Frill always says, he, we give him our rap sheet, he gives us his righteousness. How amazing is that? And we have quite the rap sheet when we look. We are criminals. We have sinned against God's law countless times. Many times we didn't even know it. Like we sin so often, we, don't even, we can't even really repent of what we do because we, we don't even know. We're like, oh, wow. I mean, sometimes I'll reflect on just things I've thought, things like, I, you know, wow, that, was, that wasn't good. You know, just pride and things that just sneak in there it's, it's, it's amazing how sinful we are naturally. Maybe you're like the Galatians, just trying to earn your way to salvation like that. Maybe you're going to add in, you're going to add a little bit to it too. You know, you come, you know, uh, we're in America, we're independent. We, we like, we're America. I guess maybe we should say it that way, right? You know, we, we don't need anything for free. We're going to earn it. And so, oh yeah, give the head nod. I'll, I'll be saved, but then I'm going to add to it. You know, Jesus needs a little help. I'll, I'll make sure I, I do a couple things to pad my resume to make sure I get in. Let's, let's make sure we stay away from that. But number two, are there people in my life that have missed Christ? Second, look around you. Look at your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Have they driven by church after church and missed the Christ? Is meet, people of Christ are meeting there? Have they ignored the presence of God because of maybe somebody in one of those churches that sinned against them? If you stick around long enough, you'll get sinned against here. We're all sinners. We're, we're works in progress, but praise God, we're saved works in progress if we're in Christ. And he continues to make us more like his son and sanctify us over time through his word and through the, lear- the teaching of the scriptures. I pray that we show grace and that we're a, a, a family of love and compassion and forgiveness. But, but may we always point others not to others, but may we point others to Christ above all, and hopefully they won't miss him either as we point them to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we have not missed you, that we've not lived our entire life and and been around you, been around people that love you, but that we're not like John's disciples and we just completely missed you. God, forgive us if that's where we're at, some of us may, may even be believers, and, and we follow you, but, but we miss your voice because we're so busy. We just got so much going on, and, and we're not focused. We're not in your word the way we need to be, and so we miss you daily. Lord, you, you tell us to pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is your will for us. God, may we be doing that, walking with you day after day and not missing you day after day. And I know, I know, I know, so many of us are in communities, at workplaces, in families, in neighborhoods that are missing you. They, they don't even know you're there. They, they just walk by you, Lord, and your people, and they continue to rebel and live their life the way it is. May we love them enough to share the gospel with them. I pray that they don't miss that. Lord, we love you, praise you, and thank you. May we have a great week and glorify you, Lord. Amen.